0: Welcome to Biker's live show. My name is Teemu Arna, I'm the curator of Biker's Summit and co-author of the Biker's Handbook. It's time again to, you know, resume our interviews with the speakers who are coming to Biker's Summit. The next Biker's Summit happens in Helsinki 16th and 17th October. The team is Extending Lifespan, which is basically all about extending, you know, your potential. Health span on this planet. So lifespan is one thing, but health span in the end is about putting more healthy, high-performing years into your life. And that's what, you know, that event is going to be all about. We just got like a couple of days ago, some new regulations in Finland about organizing events. And there is no limitations really for us to put that event together. So you all welcome to Finland on 16th and 17th of October. And uh, yeah, I mean, there is no risk really booking your ticket because if you can't come for any reason, whatever it is, you can always downgrade to the live stream version of it. But I really hope that you come to Helsinki, Finland. Event are, events nowadays are a rare phenomenon and rare occurrence. And the Biker Summit will be the only real biking event this year happening in the world. So you're most welcome. We're expecting maybe a thousand people or so. That's That's what we usually get anyway. And uh, yeah, Finland is famous for its uh, social distancing. There is a lot of free space here. We have 5.5 million people in a land area, the size of UK. We managed the pandemic better than many. And resilience is probably one of the things. We have a a culture of sauna and culture of ice. Uh, 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 cold bath and uh, ice swimming, Microphone. and that's that's a big thing uh, for us for sure. When it comes to living healthy and so on, I'm I'm just having some chaga mushroom. This is Nordic chaga chaga tincture that I'm taking right here. Mm. Hopefully that supports some some things that I can't say, <laughs> for example <laughs> immunity. But anyway, um, today. Our guest is a regular Seem Lund, um, a YouTuber, a health author. He has written a couple of books, The Metabolic Autophagy, and also the latest book that's coming out right now is called Stronger by Stress. So how do you turn something like stress, not some kind of threat to something that actually helps you to grow and become a more resilient human being and able to deal with stressors in the environment? That's, That's a big topic when it comes to immunity. So if you want to build your immunity, definitely Stronger by Stress is one of the books that you, you want to take a look at. So welcome to the show, Seem.
1: Hey, good, yeah. to, good to be here again. And uh, yeah, <laughs> Estonians are also very keen on social distancing, but uh, yeah, like uh, it's good to kind of come over the sea into Helsinki as well once in a while.
0: Yeah, yeah. so you're actually here in the studio, but you know, we, we are just testing some technique. We're going to have the Health Hacking Summit next Monday, Tuesday, so check out healthhackingsummit.com. Uh, one of our topics is biohack your work, like how you can biohack remote work in these days. Uh, so Seem, how have you been hacking remote work? Because I know that you've been on your island in Saarenmai in Estonia for like half a year. This is the first time you actually got out. Uh, you know, congratulations for escaping <laughs> the prison. So yeah. how's, how's it been?
1: Uh, well, I wouldn't say it was like a prison or something. It was a, more of a vacation, <laughs> and I did get a lot of things done, and it uh, was a very enjoyable process during that time. Uh, but for me, I was doing a lot of my own regular routine that involves, you know, a lot of spending time in nature, uh, doing, again, uh, work in my home that's going to be. Very focused on like this uh, cognitive demanding work and taking breaks every once in a while, getting some natural sunlight all the time, doing intermittent fasting, and uh, yeah, exercising regularly, doing sauna and uh, cold exposure as well. So I wasn't uh, very uh, affected by the lockdown or anything like that. I was able to just function optimally and uh, even thrive, if, if if you can say that. Right. I guess it was pretty regular schedule for you
0: and. And for me also, like here in Finland, like not much really changed. And uh, yeah, Saaranma is probably one of the like most remote places in the (laughs) whole world, like one of the least populated countries in the world, Estonia, with um, an island that is quite far away from the capital. And that was the part that was locked down first in Estonia, like because of some Italian football team. So (laughs) how did you feel about that? It's a global world
1: uh yeah it's yeah it's uh was one of the least places i would expect the pandemic to reach uh but at the same time it was also like a good reminder of these potential that uh, you can't uh, or the potential of these kinds of crises and uh, disasters so you can't avoid them they're going to happen like uh, every once in a while and you can just you know be prepared and you shouldn't be like distraught about these things you should try Mm. to look at it how can i leverage these uh, events in a positive way that would uh, further my growth and uh, that wouldn't you know wipe me out so i would be prepared for them as well as well as uh, yeah find like the silver lining in in Mm. everything your book
0: title is stronger by stress and When it comes to epidemics, I mean, the humanity has faced all kinds of epidemics every hundred years that kills like 10 to 14% of world population. And so far it has made our species stronger. Like we are just better at dealing with things just from a genetic perspective, because we have been tested as a gene pool. Is that supported by the other research that you do? Like if you just think of your individual life, like our hard Things, challenges, uh, viruses, bacteria, in the end, friends that can help us grow better and Mm. stronger.
1: Yeah, definitely to a certain extent. So living in a bubble and uh, living in a completely stress-free world would leave you very vulnerable to like these random events and random chaos that's going to happen. So um, like the wise approach would be to proactively engage in things that keep your immune system strong and also keep your body physically strong as well as mentally. So uh, doing difficult things kind of conditions your mind to handle them and being able to endure like different kinds of physical stressors like exercise and heat and cold and uh, some fasting, they can also all be uh, improving your body's resiliency against future Mm -hmm. stressors. And uh, yeah, it's it's, uh, like a very proactive way of going about it. Can you
0: describe the term anti fragile? Because that's probably what we want to build uh, as yeah. individuals and as countries and as societies to become just a little bit more
1: anti fragile to whatever is happening. Yeah, definitely. Anti fragile is a really cool term. And it was coined by Nassim Nicholas Taleb, who wrote the book Anti fragile, amongst, amongst others. And essentially, anti fragile describes things that are the opposite of uh, fragile. Like fragile things break into pieces, like a piece of glass. um, And an anti fragile thing is something that would get better when it uh, it encounters some sort of a stress or a shock and it doesn't break down. It actually improves, uh, gets better, gets stronger, and grows. And it's not like the complete, it's not completely the same thing as uh, something that is resilient or robust. Like Mm. a piece of metal is resilient, it's not going to break if you hit it. But it's not gonna benefit from it either. It's gonna stay the same. Whereas, if you hit, like, for example, hit the human body with like heavy weights or maybe like punching a bag or punching a hole in the wall, then your body actually gets stronger. It uh, adapts to it and uh, like builds calluses, builds muscles, builds strength. So, hu- the human body itself is an anti thing. We always are in an environment that has conditioned us to be more resilient like the temperatures the humidity uh food scarcity and uh, everything else so we grew up in an anti-fragile environment or we grew up to be anti-fragile it's just if we if we live in a modern environment that is conditioning us to be fragile then we lose this sort of uh, ability to adapt
0: right so basically it is natural for humans to be challenged in different ways. Now, there is a chat that you can join in at uh, our YouTube channel. So go to barker Summit YouTube channel. There's probably a link if you're following this on Facebook or wherever, like go to barker Summit YouTube channel and you can find the stream over there. And there's a chat and you can comment live. And uh, yeah, there is a good few comments already here. And, you know, we're going to bring the questions into into this broadcast so it's not just me talking it's you also so Sarah Rosen saying love the tie yeah (laughs) I can I can program the tie with any color and uh, it's connected to the mothership and yeah I have these glasses also that are producing some blue light people in the biking community they don't like blue light because it's 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 kind of uh, toxic Uh, but in the end actually it increases alertness and when I you know Posting this kind of thing, it's it's actually good to be a bit alert. I use this in the morning hours to, to wake up. Now, Donit is asking, what are the best strategies to lower chronic stress? Now, Simlant, uh, mm. go ahead. Like, What's your way of dealing with chronic stress?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a really important question and a tough one as well. Because first of all, you have to kind of identify what is causing you chronic stress so chronic stress itself can be pretty harmful if it's you know becomes chronic and if you experience the stress all the time. And uh, for that, it's a like a very wise way to prevent the chronic. F- you you should prevent the everyday stress from becoming chronic. So for example, you if you are related if you're doing some sort of uh, work, cognitive work or physical work, even or exercise, then you shouldn't really go deep that deep into the burnout zone that it becomes very hard to get out of it. So if you're only maybe like uh, getting in and out of uh, like the zone of exertion, you're pushing yourself, but you're not really burning out, then that's like the perfect place to be uh, to avoid uh, getting burnout in the first place. Because if you're already burned out, then it's uh, much harder to get out of it. Uh, But if you are in this uh, zone of overexertion, over uh, overstimulation, then for that, I think... um, is it's is is necessary to just um take a break, so to say, to kind of uh, distance yourself from the stress, whatever it may be, for a short period of short period of while to allow your body to recover. And that may include just maybe going for a like a taking a week weekend off at a cabin in the forest or something, going for hiking, uh just not working <laughs> for a little bit, allowing your body to recover and not be constantly stimulated. And that will also include Reducing all kinds of stimulation, whether that be from caffeine, uh, too many calories, maybe sugar, uh, and uh, like social media, everything else that is putting an mo- extra burden on your system. You just have to kind of remove these stressors so that your body could have uh, some time to recover.
0: Yeah, I think there is a pandemic of just you know stressful information that is bombarded on us through media, like. Every, every day you open up media for the last six months about coronavirus, this coronavirus, that's going to kill everyone on this planet. And it's probably causing more illness uh, than it's preventing. In some cases, perhaps for in sure. the future, like making us a little bit more stressed on a daily basis. So definitely like social media diet is, is something that a lot of people should exercise and maybe go to nature instead. <laughs> now, yeah. if that's possible, wherever you are. Now, in terms of reducing your risk of getting into a vicious cycle of destroying yourself, basically like into downward slope of slippery slope of stress, where you're overstimulated, where you're stressed out, where you're burnout, and it's really hard to climb out. I mean, if you you look at, you know, science in terms of like gut health, if you damage the gut lining, then all kinds of crap goes into your bloodstream that damages the system further. And uh, it makes you less uh, capable of you know, getting out of it, it, it can then damage your blood brain barrier that reduces your ability to recover. And it's, it's a vicious cycle. The same goes for, let's say people who have ADHD, their uh, ability, their emotional control. So their stress management control um, uh, basically is short already. And when they get stressed, they damage that part of the brain. And the next time around, they have less once again, mm-hmm. like uh, control over what's happening uh, in the yeah. reaction. So it's a vicious cycle. Like how, how do you break a vicious cycle, whatever it is like mm-hmm. overconsumption of calories or, or yeah. like just, you know, um, being addicted to um, stressful signals and responding yeah. to them in a certain way.
1: Yeah, that's a really important point that you brought up that the vicious cycle is um, self perpetuating like uh, if you get into the vicious cycle then it uh, gathers more force and it's uh, harder to break that cycle and that same happens on the uh, neuronal level in the brain as well so the term neuroplasticity describes your brain's ability to uh, adapt to the habits you do and the thoughts you experience and also like the stress you experience on a daily basis. So if you are habitually stressed out, then it becomes a more default to you. So you become used to it. And uh, also you condition yourself to be more reactive towards uh, whatever stressor you may experience. You're like become more angry at other people because you're teaching your brain to, you're changing your brain's uh, wiring because of uh, past experiences and because of doing it all 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 the time all, all over again yeah. and neuroplasticity works both ways like you can change it you can also reverse that process because the brain is malleable it can uh, condition and it can adapt all the time in real time so the way you overcome this is to ch- rechange your habits and to reteach yourself and one of the key kind of aspects for neuroplasticity is bdnf which is brain derived neurotrophic factor that is like the miracle growth factor for the brain. That is uh, needed for the growth of new brain cells and to trigger or to conduct neuroplasticity as well. So there's many things that promote BDNF production. Like uh, exercise does it. Uh, moderate exercise. If you're stressed out, uh, then there's uh, different uh, like music therapy does it. Uh, acupuncture therapy. Then just sleep, and uh, you know fasting does it as well to a certain extent. So uh, I think a lot of the time you just need to not overly exert yourself and to not not self perp- self self perpetuate the cycle even further. So you have to kind of break the cycle in a way to again distance yourself from the stress or maybe and to try to go into more of like a recovery mode where you're focusing on just rest and rejuvenation.
0: Right. So basically what people are doing in situations is they are reacting to something that happened to them long time ago in a similar or over-exaggerated manner. And to change that is to change your attitude and response to the very situation, immediate situation you are in to break that cycle. Um, it m- probably is quite hard. Now, um, if, we, if you take gut issues for example, there's a term called IBS uh, or IBD like irritable bowel syndrome and um, ulcerative colitis and so on but if you think of IBS it's a collection of all kinds of unexplained and unexplained gut issues it could be nervous system based it could be contraction based it could be gut bacteria based the gut is just it could be based on FODMAPs that there it's linked to certain types of uh, bacteria that are fermenting food in a certain way that cause all kinds of weird symptoms. It could be inflammation. There's many things, and they just put it all under IBS. Now, the treatment for IBS uh, is is often all kinds of things that reduce the stress or burden on the digestive system. Now, there's a question actually from Joel Cohen. Uh, What are the beneficial tactics for curing IBS as a whole? Like um, You've been looking into... The digestive system, gut, and, and so on. Like, what's your recommendation for anyone who is just has a stressful gut?
1: Mm. Yeah, well, stress itself uh, is probably one of the biggest things that also contributes to uh, intestinal, uh, you know, permeability as well as irritable bowel syndrome. And, you know, if you're, let's say, if you're never going to fix stress, then you're always going to have like at least some fo- form of a, like a digestive problem. So, again proper stress management and avoiding stress, avoiding burnout is like the kind of the foundation, I think, to uh, preventing these uh, problems from arising in the first place. Uh, but also, of course, like some people also have specific food intolerances, whether because of genetics or uh, like the immune system acquirement over the course of their lifetime. So again, f- trying to figure out which one, which which is the particular stressor that is causing the issue which kind of food is causing the issue and uh, whether or not you should consume it so uh, one of the biggest culprits tends to be uh, gluten and grains that is uh, most responsible for most people uh, for like leaky gut and gut problems so and there are different uh, others as well like ford maps uh, lectin yeah. maybe uh, nightshade and uh, different you know plant compounds most, mostly. So you have to kind of figure out which food is causing you the problems and then eliminating it for a short period of time as to allow the body to recover itself again and heal the gut lining and heal the gut. Because if you're constantly like pouring gasoline on the fire, <laughs> then there's not going to be enough uh, resources for the body to heal itself and recover.
0: I guess the term they use is um, for kind of a collective term for or these kind of things are anti-nutrients. So nutrients that are not really supporting your nutrition, but they're kind of damaging your body mm. in different ways. And many people blame gluten, but it might be actually on undis-, undis-, uh, undis-, di- 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 undis... Digestible. Digestible. Undi- di- 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 damn, that's a w- hard word. So foods that is hard to digest. My Finnish <laughs> background doesn't allow me to say that. Term, but anyway, undissociable, digestible. Dig- go ahead, Sim. Undigestible. <laughs> Thank you, Sim. That's perfect English. Now, finish. Okay, the so right. the carbohydrates your body can't process, and uh, mushrooms are a pretty hard thing for some people. Like, can't eat a lot of mushrooms because of the complex carbohydrates that that they can ferment. Uh, it could be. Uh, Even some plants, like vegetables, like, um, I guess, uh, broccoli, avocados can be in that, uh, uh, celery. All these healthy superfoods that many people have in a ketogenic diet, for example, Mm. might be actually FODMAPs that are not really good. Even though they're avoiding gluten, they might be eating a lot of things that their systems can't handle because of some gut bacterial issues. Uh, What's your your comment on that one?
1: Yeah, definitely, like... uh, just because it's keto or just because it's low carb doesn't mean that it's causing issues. And you can certainly overconsume any kind of food. Uh, like uh, some foods can be great in moderation and harmful in excess. So uh, yeah, I just you would p- people have to figure out what's their level of tolerance and how how well they can handle it. And you know a lot of the times specific like gut dysbiosis and uh, you know microbiome issues can also be problematic for digesting specifically like uh, plant foods so um, you know getting exposed to let's say the dirt going to nature getting some of the and bacteria from there it also is going to strengthen your immune system and contributes to your like microbiome in a way in a positive way so um, even if you aren't able to let's say eat specific plants, then you sh- then it shouldn't mean that you don't go to nature. You should still get your hands dirty every once in a while and you know, go out to nature as to allow your body to build up some of its microbiome and uh, immune system from that.
0: So, so modern man has become unresilient, unresil- uh, basically completely fragile when it comes to dealing with these kind of issues. So they might be missing specific enzymes or bacteria that help them to deal with stressors from the environment. What comes to my mind is lectins that Mm. many people are saying are kind of detrimental to your health. But aboriginals and indigenous people, they studied their gut microbiomes and they figured out that they have specific bacteria and enzymes that are actually quite uh, fragile. So to disturbances of the gut microbiome. Um, they they might be able to deal with a lot of anti nutrients uh, sources of food that modern man can digest. They can just do fine. Now, um, why is it that we look at our ancestors as stronger than us? You know, um, uh, what happened to our species? <laughs> Are we selectively breeding or domesticating humans to become uh, completely unable? to continue the race. Why <laughs> is that?
1: Well, I, I don't think that we're, you know, somehow inferior or weaker. We just have like different adaptations, so to say. We aren't adapted to fully uh, enduring the natural environment. And we do experience like some chronic diseases, but at the same time, we have other, you know, positive adaptations that uh, are, Contributing to the like development of our entire species as a whole, so I think i don 't think it's a, it's a matter of like hi- hierarchies or something we 've just become slightly misaligned with our natural environment, and uh, we do, we have to kind of just understand some of the principles that is causing us to make to, to become sick and what is causing these imbalances and to then try to fix them or to prevent them from happening and that would include just incorporating some aspects of natural living in the modern technological world with the use of technology and science and uh, natural living as well so we just have to kind of know how to combine them together and uh, figure out uh, like you know get some more information about these processes that are happening inside our body and and then try to figure out to how to solve them because i think yeah like we just we have just been slightly misled uh, f- and this misled with the information and we've just kind of gravitated a little bit off course too far away from uh, this balance and the homeostasis where our body is functioning best at. Hmm.
0: Uh, just out of curiosity, what do you think we have actually adapted to that our ancestors <laughs> did not? Like what are we good at actually?
1: Well, I think we're good at, uh, we are slightly good at filtering out some of distractions mm-hmm. like uh, people like say in an urban city, they can just walk on the sidewalk and walk across uh, the street and not be, like, really freaked out by cars running past us or, you know, thousands of people walking past us and these noises and uh, artificial light and those things. So we've become slightly numb to that. That can be, you know, not that beneficial in nature, but it certainly has allowed us to, let's say, endure this very chaotic environment. Like, people can learn how to thrive in chaos. So, like, that's another example of that you don't want to live a completely stress-free life either. You don't want to be completely (laughs) in solitude, in a a cave with no uh, external stimuli and no, no, like, uh, other people around you and those things. So you would, because that would also be, like, slightly fragile. You would lose the ability to stay calm in chaos. So being able to, be centered and stay healthy and stay uh, mindful in a chaotic environment when everything else around you is like in flames is also like a great skill because uh at the end of the day that's what that's what's going to matter if we do come across like an another like a major disaster or a chaos mm. in in, in, the, in the future
0: you have a background in anthrop anthropology yeah and that helps you probably to understand kind of on a more collective level like human behavior and how these different uh cultural aspects and behavioral aspects are and collective aspects are are in the way, in the end contributing to your you know our survival as as a as a species what have you learned from your studies in anthrop- anthropology and how does that link to your current expertise and interest in biohacking
1: yeah well. I've been always slightly interested in the human species and uh, culture, and uh, yeah, like different kinds of tribes surviving in nature, especially enduring harsh conditions and climates. So it's pretty miraculous that the humans, as humans, we can really thrive in any kind of environment, whether that be the desert, the jungle, or the Arctic, and uh, yeah, we can adapt to almost anything. So I think that's that's one of the biggest reasons why. I got interested in things like intermittent fasting and uh, cold and the heat and uh, maybe even potentially like toxins, environmental toxins, those things, those, they can all be hmm. so, so a form of this sort of stress adaptation that ultimately like, makes us you know, create new things, makes us uh, build better technologies and uh, also learn how to be healthier as a whole.
0: Yeah, I I just saw some news about Chernobyl, <laughs> the nuclear disaster that happened um uh, not I mean in a recent history in a way, and they found some bacteria that is able to through some kind of radiosynthesis or something like this break down radioactive material. So nature seems to be very adaptive to things that we consider the end of the world mm. and Actually in the in, in Chernobyl area, there is, I mean, the diversity of plants, animals, insects, all of that is like, anyone visiting there wouldn't believe that that area was hit by uh, one of the potentially most disastrous accidents in modern mass history. So nature is very resilient into For these sure. things. And when we think about events like nuclear disasters or or uh, some kind of like weather phenomena, the floods, uh, and also pandemics and viruses and bacteria and all of that. I mean, those serve in a way as mechanisms through which we make the whole species stronger in terms of survival in the future. In computer security, we talk about penetration testing. So we test two stems, uh, we try to break into them so that they can become stronger. Um, and there is no safe system in the end, so every system needs to be tested. And the human system is probably the same. So there is all kinds of backdoors that we can we can definitely like uh, take advantage of. And uh, as we take advantage of them, like viruses and bacteria are hiding, you know, in our DNA even um, through centuries, um, we become symbiotic with them. We adapt to them. We we figure out a way to turn a potential threat into a potential ally. Um, So if if you look at our gut microbiome, like there's all kinds of bacteria there, but they serve uh, also uh, a role of symbiotic organisms with us that that help us to actually prevent other uh, intruders and pathogens to get into our system. Trees use the same mechanism. So they work in symbiotic relationship in their root systems with bacteria and viruses and fungi to, to transport nutrients and and uh, protect them also. It's kind of part of their immune system. So as humans, we are kind of often scared about the invisible world and Mm. external factor and alien life forms that might be lurking into our systems. But in the end, like seeing them as potential friends is is probably one way to build
1: resilience. Mm. Yeah, probably. We we shouldn't yeah be afraid of the outside world like um, and being like very ang- anxious and fearful of anything that could happen and you know being afraid to go out of your house that can also just cause like this subliminal uh, subconscious stress that you are kind of building up towards that you become again anxious by habit and uh, mm. that's be- because the mental thoughts and emotions there as. As uh, as harmful as uh, physical stress itself, like the we can't really tell the difference between the world around us, physical world around us, and the and the world that our brain perceives. You know yes. the imprint. So and uh, that's why we have to kind of think of everything uh, almost as the same.
0: Yeah, Donit asking here is, are things like radiation, plastics, heavy metals, etc. Significant stresses, or are they rather insignificant in terms of stress? Sim is going to answer that in a moment, but if you want to join the conversation, go to Barker Summit YouTube channel. Subscribe, by the way, because there's a lot of cool content coming down the road. If you're not yet subscribed, check it out. Uh, But in the chat, basically, he's asking this question, and um, basically... Uh, if we if we if we take a different angle to many of the things that people consider a threat, like 5G radiation mm-hmm. or heavy metals or whatever you know radioactive um, uh, blooms or something like this, could those actually be potentially beneficial to us instead of being like right. potential disasters?
1: Yeah, well, I think it depends on the particular thing and a stressor so there are certainly things that can be beneficial but there's also things that uh, don't have any significant benefit uh, and they don't have like this this adaptation aspect, or the hormesis that, that 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 doesn't kill me, makes me stronger. So for I would categorize like plastics and environmental pollutants and chemicals into that. I don't think that they don't re- they don't really have any like a positive hormetic effect on the body. So it's best to just minimize them as much as possible, or to swap them out for safer alternatives. So uh, yeah, things like uh, chemicals, pesticides, uh, whatnot, and uh, plastics. So, and uh, even even things like you know vegetable oils and uh, trans fats, those things don't really have any significant effect, benefit to the body. They are only like harmful. So I, I would avoid them uh, as much as possible. And uh, but when it comes to things like five G or radiation, then there could be some positive adaptation that co- could occur, uh, especially in terms of like. Uh, Upregulating the body's own defense systems like glutathione or autophagy. So there are some studies show that, you know, exposure to radiation and 5G has a slight effect on increasing autophagy as well as uh, like uh, providing some protection against uh, malignancies in small doses. So um, you know, I wouldn't try to manically avoid 5G or uh, any other radiation, but I wouldn't. Voluntarily expose myself to it either. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't keep my like uh, cell phone next to my head all the time, and I wouldn't uh, put it under my pillow when I sleep, or I wouldn't, you know, go into radiation all the time so I would uh, try to minimize the exposure but I wouldn't be manically afraid of it so the key aspect to this is is your body able to recover from the stress yeah, from 5G yeah. and EMF so so dose makes the poison yeah. basically and
0: some people um can become oversensitized to these things like there's people who, who claim they have allergy to you know these kind of radiation sources or electricity um, uh, uh, like highly active immune system towards certain molds and so on, while other people might not get much of a reaction. So in the end, it's about your immune system. And it's, it's also about um, the dose here. So a little bit of irritation is what uh, creates this hormetic response. Can you describe a little bit what's going on when your cells get exposed to stress like cold or heat mm. or radiation? What's, what's happening on cellular level that actually is beneficial?
1: Yeah, well, when you there are different types of stress responses, and uh, these res- responses have some of like key characteristic uh, qualities uh, or byproducts. So, for in, in the example of heat, when your body exposes ex- experiences heat, it's going to uh, release uh, heat shock proteins, which are then going to meet or alleviate the damage from the heat and to start to repair the damage as well so heat shock proteins can be anti-inflammatory they can repair misfolded the proteins they can also promote autophagy and uh, improve your tolerance to the heat so that the future exposure would be less harmful and the same applies to cold and uh, freezing temperatures so if you're experienced if, if you're experiencing cold or shivering then you upregulate cold shock proteins which are sli- slightly similar uh, but they're also like anti-inflammatory and they modulate gene expression and they even turn on some of these uh, longevity-related genes like uh, foxoproteins. And uh, th- that can be quite beneficial in, in small amounts. But the, bo- both of them can be harmful in excess, so you can definitely do too much cold exposure, which can lead to like maybe a slow metabolism or a low thyroid or chronic fatigue. and uh, and uh, And the same applies to heat, like if you over... Overdo the heat, then again that can lead to like electrolyte imbalances, some you know muscle pain and uh, similar things. So right. everything just has to be in in the right dose.
0: There is some discussion around um, things like the ketogenic diet, the intermittent fasting, fasting in general. That can you maybe overdo this? Like especially mm. females are warned sometimes that uh, you shouldn't fast like crazy or go too low carb that there might be a similar problem to your thyroid or so on like of overdoing it like
1: yeah for sure like fasting and low carb diets they work through the premise of creating nutritional stress so that you're depriving your body from certain nutrients when you're fasting you deprive yourself from all calories but if you're doing low carb keto then you're depriving yourself from carbs so uh, it does kind of you know, in a small dose, in a small way, it uh, creates this hormetic effect. And you can certainly overdo it if you either stay low-carb for too long, or you combine it with like a bunch of other stressors. Like you do keto, you do also one meal a day, <laughs> you do also uh, high-intensity exercise, you do all, you don't sleep well, you're stressed out at work, you're nutrient deficient of certain key nutrients, and uh, you have like emotional turmoil. So all these stressors can piled on top of each other and that can cause cause like over overstimulation and bur- burnout so th- the way to prevent that is to either learn how to manage your stressors better or to reduce the burden that you get from the nutrition side so you don't have to be keto all the time you can incorporate some carbs every once in a while and uh, yeah you can even eat them every day you just have to know uh, what what works best for your body because some people also that it uh, doesn't make them better, so you have to know which one do you, which category, which category do you fall into? Mm,
0: right. Kuappa um, uh, here is uh, keen for you to now the pala. See now pala. That is Finnish, which means sh- show your muscles. So <laughs> Sim must be doing low carb and one meal per day. So if you can like maybe flex a little bit, yeah. Here we go. Yeah, that's a low-carb guy right there. So uh, uh, Seem is going to be speaking at the Barker Summit 1617 of October in Helsinki. You're most welcome. If you can't come in person, we have also an online live stream VIP package. You also get access to all the previous Bikers Summit videos. There's 58 hours of high-quality content. Also several talks about um, autophagy and intermittent fasting and the ketogenic diets and so on. Seem is also right there. So check it out. Um, hope, to, hope to see you in, in Helsinki, Finland um, later this year. Now, let's, let's take some questions here. Uh, Joel Cohen is saying, thank you, gentlemen. Very eye-opening. Thank you, Joel. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the intermittent fasting a little bit. Donit is asking how much protein should you consume around your workout with targeted intermittent fasting mm. and rather pre-intra or post-workout? so should you do like a pre post or during Mm. like workout um some kind of protein loading
1: yeah well the purpose of eating protein is to keep your body alive (laughs) so you need your body is made of protein and you need protein to kind of maintain uh tissue on a daily basis a certain amount of protein for that and uh you know for different goals you can adjust that intake if you want to build muscle then you need to also increase your protein intake and increasing your protein intake can also be beneficial for fat loss uh, because it's it's very uh, thermal, uh, it, it burns a lot of calories to digest protein and it's also quite satiating. So generally, a higher protein diet tends to be better for both goals, for both muscle growth and uh, fat loss and satiety. And, but the timing of protein depends on, again uh, also on your goals. So if you're, let's say, determines muscle growth on a daily basis is the balance between muscle protein breakdown and balan- and uh, and uh, synthesis are, are you building muscle or are you breaking it down so if you are let's say fasting a lot then you are breaking down the protein at a accelerated rate and if you're eating protein then you're building it up so if you think about if you combine it with exercise then you can reduce the the catabolism of uh, muscle protein that you experience from exercise and fasting by eating protein before a workout. So, you know, if your goal is to maximize muscle growth, then you can, and minimize muscle loss, then eating some protein before a workout is better because uh, your body has the amino acids from the protein that you ate. So it doesn't have to start cannibalizing its own muscle tissue to get those amino acids.
0: Right. So, So what would you track like in terms of, I guess, some kind of like biometrics if you want to understand if, the work that you do or the exercise that you do is not overly harming or damaging your body so that you are kind of in this hormetic zone and and this kind of homeostatic uh zone that kind of stimulates you enough but it's not breaking you down like that you're yeah. not going to a vicious cycle down the ro- down the
1: down the hill yeah yeah well uh well it depends on uh yeah, b- yeah let's say like uh, on a daily basis the one of the best things to look at is your Overall sleep quality and uh, heart rate variability. So, that's l- like the fastest way to assess your nervous system state. And uh, those numbers can also fluctuate really rapidly. So, on one day, you can be under recovered and your HRV is low. So, on that day, you can see that, okay, my body is trending towards overstimulation and uh, too much exertion. So, I, I can know that I will take a step back. Uh, instead of like crushing myself at the gym again. <laughs> and on the other hand, if you are seeing that your HIV is fine, it's optimized, then you can see that, okay, the signals are there, my body is recovered, and therefore it's, it's eager and it's ready to be stimulated in a more harder way. Mm. And some other factors like your uh, temperature can be a good indicator of that as well, core temperature. If your core temperature drops really low, like you're freezing all the time, you're cold. Then that can be a sign of too much calorie restriction, maybe, or too much fasting, or too little, too little carbohydrates, uh, too much uh, just energy restriction in general. Your body don't regulate thyroid in response to that, and your body temperature is also one of the first ones to go with that. Right. And with a, like a higher metabolic rate, you would feel you know warm. You would feel uh, very tolerant of cold, and uh, you would even be like you know spontaneously moving around, you'll be burning more energy because your thyroid is high and you're producing uh, high, enough, high, enough, high amounts of energy.
0: Right. Uh, so, I is saying that I track HRV with Polar H10 um, every morning to monitor general overstimulation or a coming sickness. Do you have other ideas how to quantify or just measure meaningful too much stress? Uh, personally, I would also look at resting heart rate in the mm. morning. If you see like slowly that being elevated from where it's supposed to be then probably there's is, there's is something that you want to do like yeah. reducing your overstimulation or getting more sleep um and sometimes it might be a sign of you know not being physically enough active also so yeah. it's it's a slightly harder proxy to look at but taking context into account that might be another, another thing yeah. to, th- does anything else come to your mind you want to mention
1: yeah, I was going to mention that uh, I al- also noticed that if my heart rate, resting heart rate is elevated, then it's because of maybe uh, not sleeping enough, sleeping bad, uh, or I'm catching some sort of a cold or something. So th- I can see like a r- trend heading towards that as well. So usually my heart rate would, if if you are like a f- fit and healthy person, then your heart rate would be slightly lower, but uh, it wouldn't, if, and if it starts to trend upwards, then it's either indicates of too much stress or some sort of an inf- infection, I- illness coming.
0: Adam Pipe is asking, what are some of the good ways to improve HRV?
1: Yeah, well, one of the, one of the things that does lower HRV is uh, worrying and uh, emotional like turmoil, negative thoughts. Does, that can be also quite harmful. So uh, making sure that you are in a very not not like a anxious state all the time. That was that's the, the, like a foundation because you, you know if you are constantly worrying and anxious, then uh, you're jeopardizing all the th- other things that you might be doing. <laughs> so mm. that's one of the p- best places to start. That, uh, but there are things that also raise HRV like uh, saunas, uh, moderate exercise, not too not too hard, and uh, you know fasting does it as well to a certain extent, but it, in, again in moderation and uh, the cold in moderation so any any of these extremes might be lowering your hrv but in in the right dose they tend to uh, increase it
0: right in my case i've noticed that if i cut out stimulants like coffee it, it really helps hrv values i use the garmin watch to track my hrv throughout the day, day also like 24 um, 7 and I see that I get a lot more stress reactions, like sympathetic nervous system activation, if I drink coffee compared to if I don't. And in night uh, time, HRV, one of the things probably is which, is, which is quite effective is to do deep breathing exercises mm. in the evening to wind down from the day. And I, I try to remember to do it also, if I get stressed out in between, you know, whatever situations I just, you know, close my eyes, reduce sensory, yeah. Information and uh, try to relax my body and deep uh, have deep breathing exercises. Um, yeah. yeah, Lee Evin is one of the experts on nasal breathing. Uh, he's coming to Biker Summit also. Yeah. Uh, Bimhoff method has been a big one in 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 the in the world right now. But yeah. in the end, like uh, some mindful exercises, I For guess. Sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, and like I think sleep is also the foundation to this. So because. Your HRV is uh, and parasympathetic activity is the highest when you are sleeping, so that's the time your body is recovering and repairing itself from the daily exertion. So if you are never allowing your body to, you know, facilitate adaptation and to like instill it, then is <laughs> you're you're never going to reach the results either because you're like under recovered in the in the in the vicious cycle of being under recovered. So sleep optimization yeah. is crucial. That.
0: There, there is also this effect called supercompensation in, in, for example, in exercise that, um, you know, beating your body actually, even though it might momentarily lower your mm-hmm. kind of average, it, it tends to rebound higher than your typical average would be yeah. in a rested state. So this is one thing that you could leverage is in times of stress um, to use the rebound effect. And I've also noticed sure. that it's probably also. Uh, working not just for uh, exercise, but also like mental stress and work. Like um, if you have constant challenges, uh, but they come at the rate which is beneficial, it, it actually rebounds you higher. I, I noticed that if I have like uh, a lot of rested state, like doing, during the pandemic and lockdown, uh, lack of presentations, lack of travel, all of that kind of, uh, you know, um, I, I couldn't get away with, less sleep as easily, for example. Uh, so yeah. there's some kind of rebound effect also being being stimulated with stress.
1: For sure, yeah. It's, it's very commonly used in uh, athletics and sports. So like uh, many like power sports and uh, strength sports tend to use these periods of like overreaching. So uh, you come from a time like you've been fully recovered, you're fully optimized, you're uh, with high HRV, you're adaptable so, and you go into a, like a short period of overreaching where you are deliberately pushing yourself further beyond that you're capable of and you're doing it consistently as to, you know, stretched boundaries and then to l- lead to this super compensation effect. And usually those periods last for like a few weeks, two, two weeks or something. And then they're followed again by some recovery period where you take things uh, less strenuously again. So you're con- you should always like, in a way try to optimize your entire year or a monthly schedule along those same uh, lines. So you take time for recovery, but you also schedule times where you're doing things more that require more effort and more exertion that kind of drain you and uh, deplete you. But then you also have to take the time to recover from those things.
0: Right. Yeah. There's also a question about music and if that can affect your stress levels. I personally use binaural beats. uh, the, the physiological response what you have is uh, your brain tends to synchronize to, to mm. this type of signals and, and, and certain sound waves can definitely help to relax at least it works if it's placebo it's it worked for me but one thing uh, is that I remember reading from studies is that if you listen to music that you love it will exercise a better physiological response than if you're listening to something you absolutely <laughs> hate. Yeah. So some people, when they listen to, let's say, some heavy metal music, for one yeah. person would be the worst possible thing ever. And for another person would be a relaxing, nice parasympathetic nervous system activating uh, yeah. lullaby song. So um, what's your favorite like, you know, if you, if you mm. use some kind of sound waves or yeah. do you do these things?
1: Yeah. uh, Well, well, for for example, if I'm trying to write or, you know, focus on something, then I do listen to some music depends on the kind of stage or particular mood. Usually I might listen to like some epic soundtracks like orchestra or uh, some uh, movie soundtracks of epic music. Uh, but some other times I also listen to like, you know, some metal and uh, metalcore and this kind of uh, hard, heavy metal music <laughs> that most people will find like very distracting and uh, disturbing. But it kind of for me, uh, it does put me into the right mood and helps me to, yeah, stay in the zone, so to say. So I do enjoy it. And yeah, it's very true that what what some people may find enjoyable is definitely not enjoyable for others in terms of music. So yeah, I'm kind of the person who can enjoy Writing and sleeping to like heavy mu- music.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't listen to heavy music, but I, I do listen to electronic music and like some s- some something with a uh, I guess mm. monotonous beat. Beats. I yeah. don't like a lot of variation in in the rhythm because it kind of distracts me, or I don't like words or any kind of because then I start to listen and follow whatever message yes. there is. Uh, and there's a link between the shaman drum, basically certain beats per minute with uh, techno music. And it, it seems to like induce trance states in people when they dance for yeah. it. I mean, aboriginals used it, modern man use it. And definitely like certain beats per minute are really good for focus for me at least. But some people feel it's irritating, it's too monotonous, whatever. So it's it's your preference really, like whatever takes, whatever works for you go for it. Uh, now, if you have any questions, like jump to the chat on Bakker Summit YouTube, and also remember to follow you get a notification if there is new live streams going on. Also go to Seem Lan's YouTube channel, he just crossed 100,000 followers. He's a, he's a big one on YouTube, nice award uh, that you received recently. Um, th- what else like? Now, we're talking about stress here. Uh, we're talking about resilience, like how do you build A stronger immune system, stronger body, a stronger mind, uh, just stronger, instead of being wrecked (laughs) uh, by stress, stress seems to have a reputation that it's dangerous, it's something you need to avoid. It's it's like a lot of like documentaries, for example, about stress are about how do you avoid, you know, the inevitable. And uh, you guys are working on a documentary right now. And there's one of the one of the directors right here in the room actually listening to you about stress, which is beneficial, stress that makes you grow, stress that is, you know, part of life that is, I mean, I I think one of the cornerstones of biohacking, like, what can you share about your kind of upcoming documentary? Mm. Um,
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it is uh, entirely based around the idea of hormesis. And uh, how do you leverage these different kinds of stressors to become more resilient and stronger? So, yeah, stress can be helpful, but stress can also be good. Like, I like to say that stress will either bring out the best or the worst in people. And, you know, which one it is depends a lot on how you react to it and uh, what you do in response and uh, how, you, how, how do you stay mindful and aware of uh, the stress uh, in the particular moment. So, yeah, I think, you know... Using because, yeah, like you can't avoid stress. Stress is a part of life. Without stress, we wouldn't probably have developed these complex uh, nervous systems and uh, we wouldn't have developed uh, society and uh, our species as a whole. So it's, uh, it's a part of life and it's inevitable. So the only thing you can really do is to just condition yourself to endure it better and to know how to recover from the stress uh, faster. So I like almost it's, it's almost like a 50 50 that. You know, half of the time should be spent on trying to, you know, push your boundaries and exert and uh, grow and expand, whereas the other half should be spent more on, like downtime, reflection, recovery, and rejuvenation, so that you wouldn't be wiped out by the stress and uh, that you would uh, actually benefit from it. And we in the documentary. We're gonna plan on, yeah, talking with different experts about stress management and biohacking, like you guys and uh, different uh, people involved with saunas, cold meditation, yoga, uh, eating, nutrition, fasting, and uh, stress in general. Right. Uh,
0: this just reminds me what you just said um, about a novel by Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. It starts with the following words. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of In incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going dark to heaven. We were all going dark to other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on it being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. Fa- sounds to me like... The coronavirus pandemic and <laughs> the way how people react to it some people say it's the best of times they enjoy very much quarantine mm-hmm. you know they reflect 10 years of their life and what they want to do next uh, there they are of the most creative periods of their life you know they produce a lot of stuff and then there is the people who just like feel like everything is crumbling and the society is going to collapse the financial system is going to collapse there there is all kinds of crazy people running the world there is political turmoil there is there is problems in our food chain. You know the pharmaceutical companies are coming to get us, and you know they're gonna put cheap implants on us. And it's freaking lizard people running this <laughs> world, and it's 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 hell.
1: Um, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's a lot of um uh, of matter matter of context or matter of how you yeah choose to perceive it, and uh, how how we can. What, what you do in response to those things is going to matter. Even if it, if it is like some sort of a weird agenda behind it, then you can't really do it. Uh, you can't really change it entirely as an individual. You you can only like focus a lot on keeping yourself he- healthy and as strong as possible. And yeah, because you can only try to change the world if you are, if you yourself are like optimized and uh, healthy.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good statement. I think biohacking is going to increase its... Uh importance in these kind of times because people start to realize there is no silver bullet, there is no, there's no known approach and you have to kind of uh, holistically start approaching your health and well-being and so from so many different angles. And at the same time, it's a great opportunity. And I think all systems require a little bit of shakeup. Like I've noticed, for example, here in Helsinki, many of the restaurants that I feel uh, you know, for the last five years have been kind of like out of fashion, not that interesting. Um, I, I sometimes wondered why they still exist. Those all went bankrupt. And now there's new places in place that are bring, a f- you know, fresh air. I mm-hmm. just enjoy the city much more. Um, there used to be a lot of regulations for having, you know, a terrace, you know, restaurants opening up outdoors for seatings now every restaurant has some kind of seating outside it it makes the city so much more livable sometimes you need a freaking crisis Mm -hmm. so that we start to dismantle and rebuild some of the kind of nonsense that we thought we were doing good things with but actually we're not and you know sometimes a little shake up it actually creates an opportunity for yeah. building new things. When Nokia in my country collapsed, it was, for some people, it was the disaster. It was a huge part of the GDP of this country, but actually out of it came a lot of cool startups, like Vault, which mm. is now completely dominating like food delivery. They they have a hundred, um, uh, tens of thousands of uh, employees now, and there's huge queue of, of people who wanna, wanna like work for Vault and food delivery and I, I think there is there's is a lot of opportunity in in crisis. For and sure. So, uh, you know, you just have to figure out how to leverage it. In Chinese, the character for crisis also has dual meaning, which is opportunity. I <laughs> guess they are definitely leveraging it for their benefit, <laughs> I would yeah. say. Uh, Donit is asking, are power naps a great idea?
1: Have you taken any power naps on this trip? Uh, yeah, I do enjoy taking naps, and uh, I find them especially useful for adjusting your circadian rhythm or catching up on like a poor night's sleep. So they can be great for increasing alertness, uh, stress, and uh, just managing managing recovery, improving it. Uh, but, but the potential danger might be that if you take a nap, then you may not sleep well in the evening, and that can also just lead to another cycle of, of under-recovery. Under uh, so... Generally, I think uh, you you should use the naps if you feel like you need them. And if you don't, then you may you may have them every once in a while, but you shouldn't think that they're necessary or obligatory. So again, the particular individual would have to know uh, w- whether or not they should benefit from it. What do you think about meditation?
0: I was just talking about uh, meditation to a practitioner and he said that his sleep quota went down after doing a regular like meditation practice, so. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, like um, I think there are some studies that find that um, regular meditators need less sleep a little bit, uh, maybe like uh, one hour or something. Um, And I think that it has to do with, because the meditative state is also very rejuvenative. So you're not stimulated, you are allowing your brain to go into this alpha state of, you know, deep relaxation and uh, parasympathetic activity. So I feel sometimes meditation can be like a quick power nap as well, if you uh, do it properly. And I, from my own personal experience, I can remember that I was in, in uh, I was doing field res- research in uh, college and uh, I, I was in a meditation retreat and like it was five days of meditation retreat. And uh, after that, I just felt so rejuvenated and uh, like, uh, yeah like recovered that i started sleeping only like for the fa- for the next few days i slept only like 4 hours or something and fully alert in the in the middle of the night and no problems and i think uh, maybe like the meditation just allowed my my, bat- my batteries to be recharged so i didn't feel that i needed uh, that much sleep
0: mm. R Driessen is saying just finished chapter 3 of simon's new book stronger by stress very informative also read his other book, Metabolic Autophagy. I implemented some of his strategies of keto and intermittent fasting. So yeah, check it out. Great. Um, some of Tim's books. Uh, you probably get some of them from Amazon, or you can go to bikercenter.com. We have the Metabolic Autophagy in stock. We we ship around the world. So check it out. Um, yeah, there's there's quite a lot of conversation also on you, your YouTube channel. I'm just going through some of the comments over there. Um, Yeah, there's obviously a lot of discussion about keto and IF and and so on.
1: Uh, Let's see. Um, One question I saw was like, how do you lower cortisol?
0: Yeah. So how do you do that? Yeah. If you have high cortisol and and if you can also give a primer to cortisol, because it's Mm. kind of considered it's a stress hormone. Is it really only that? Right. uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, cortisol is like considered the main stress hormone. But uh, it does regulate, you know, the sympathetic nervous system and stress, but it can also have, like, some positive side effects, like increases your alertness, it increases fat burning, uh, increases your just readiness to, you know, flee or fight danger. So it's a, it's a positive thing in many aspects. It's, it's just a problem if it's constantly... Or if it gets elevated in the wrong time, so you want cortisol to be elevated in the morning to kickstart your circadian rhythm and give yourself energy and mobilize like uh, free fatty acids into the bloodstream and burn up, burn the energy. But you want it to be low when you're going to bed uh, because uh, that's the time where your body is supposed to repair, not be stressed out and uh, alert. So the timing of the of it is pretty important. Uh, so that's why in the morning you may not necessarily want to reduce cortisol. Uh, so as long as it's within reason. So, you, you should go outside, get exposed to the morning natural sunlight, because that, that can be a cue for increasing the morning cortisol and uh, kickstarting the circadian rhythm as well. Uh, but in the morning, what I like to do sometimes is to drink some uh, salted water, uh, because it will uh, lower some of the cortisol and it's not going to be overstimulated. And a lot of like electrolyte deficiencies, especially sodium restriction, can raise uh, cortisol and uh, Create this mild insulin resistance, so constantly mm-hmm. restricting sodium is not the best thing for your cortisol levels. So low sodium is for irritated people, basically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it's, uh, it, it's it's only a problem if it's in 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 combination with um, high amounts of carbs and insulin resistance and uh, insulin in general. So if you're if you're like metabolically flexible and healthy, then sodium shouldn't be a problem and.
0: Yeah, there's uh AMI is saying that heart conditions decline during pandemic. People are scared to go go uh to the hospitals and seek medical help. Um yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like we, we will see like if actually like people are gonna get more heart attacks or actually getting out of stressful <laughs> um typical uh days of life, it's actually reducing heart events. Yeah. We'll see how that uh, works. Magnesium,
1: magnesium is also important for uh, stress and cortisol. So uh, stress uh, depletes magnesium, and you need magnesium to alleviate the negative side effects of stress. So like, the more stressed out you are, the more magnesium you burn through, and the more magnesium you also need <laughs> because of that. So it's uh, another vicious cycle. So most people are already deficient in magnesium as well. So that's one of the most important like um, supplements you should maybe consider taking uh, because of how how it depl- it's it's very depleted in the food source as well
0: what forms of magnesium would you use uh f- what what are the
1: best sources of magnesium foods or supplements um well i don't know particularly which one would be best because uh depends on like what's the stress or where this stress come from. So maybe if, if people are suffering from like constipation, then for them magnesium citrate can be good. And uh, for general stress management or the brain, I believe magnesium taurate is, is the best one for the brain, I think.
0: Yeah. And, and uh, magnesium taurate, magnesium glycinate, um, basically the terms mean that taurate, you have taurine in it. Uh, glycinate, you, me, you have glycine. Both of them are kind of acting as, as uh, I guess, like breaks in the nervous system. So those are good for winding down a little bit, it's like some glycine some taurine. Um, those seem to be good. So with magnesium combined, those are, have also different types of uh, absorption rates. So having different forms of magnesium seem to be good. Uh, what is your favorite
1: source of magnesium in foods? Um, probably some seafood, I think, is a pretty good one, and, uh, or maybe, like, some pumpkin seeds, that's that's also pretty fine. It's, uh, relatively hard to come by in some, uh, like, actual food in abundance, mm. so, uh, and the problem is also, like, most foods are relatively depleted, because most vegetables are, uh, depleted from magnesium because of, like, pesticides and soil erosion, so, it's hard to hard to rely on a ho- whole food magnesium source uh unless it's like some good quality like animal protein or uh yeah some seafood mm.
0: uh, one of my favorite sources of magnesium is actually chocolate with sixty four milligrams in one ounce like twenty eight gram serving that's like sixteen percent of uh daily uh, allowance. But in the end, like <laughs> it has also stimulants. So you get both <laughs> yeah. uh, both benefits. Avocados are great. Some nuts are, are great, like almonds and cashews and brazil nuts seem to be good sources of magnesium. Also zinc, uh, it's probably one that you would get from brazil nuts. Uh, so so in small quantities, some of these may be sprouted and soaked. Uh, yeah, meat is also mentioned here in chat. All right, so David Kang, more
1: magnesium, more diarrhea.
0: <laughs> Depends <laughs> on magnesium,
1: right? Right, yeah, there's a, well, yeah, like uh, this can happen to if you, over, o- you overdose the magnesium, so to say, and there's uh, people have different requirements for magnesium and tolerance to it. So if you find yourself to get diarrhea really fast, then you may not need to take that much magnesium. So, whereas other people can like macrodose magnesium they can take even like a few thousand milligrams and still not get the runs because they're so depleted from it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a it's a matter of yeah like a context and of the person. So if you're uh if you are like very stressed out, you've uh, depleted yourself from magnesium. Then your tolerance to it is probably much higher. Uh,
0: Strumento is asking. I find it stressful to keep measuring and tracking
1: HRV or ketone levels. Should I stop? <laughs> well, if it is causing you stress, then uh, I think. Uh, it's not worth it to track it all the time. So, all those all those biometrics and measurements they should be taken as a way to kind of assess where you're at, and uh, as a, as, a, as a way to figure out how far away are you deviating from your homeostasis and balance. So, if you see your, if you feel that you may be more stressed out or tired, and then you look at your HRV data, then that can be a good strategy to figure out whether or not something is wrong. Uh, but you don't need to manically track it all the time if you're already feeling like fine and optimal
0: right yeah sarah thank you sarah sapien for donating us five (laughs) dollars thank (laughs) you (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! five (laughs) dollars we can buy some more magnesium with (laughs) that (laughs) that's awesome thank you very much for your support so um i think we are kind of coming to the end of this but uh if you want to hear more uh, from Seemland about how to become stronger by stress in a very condensed form, you definitely should come to Biker Summit, right? So what are you going to be sharing on the 16th and 17th of October in Helsinki, when we our team is extending lifespans and, and you're coming there with your new book, like what's, what's going on there?
1: Yeah, well, I'm going to be talking about the same stronger by stress concept of how do you use these different hormetic uh, activities and uh, stress adaptation activities to just strengthen yourself and uh, become more resilient and improve your health in the making. So it's going to include many ways to become anti-fragile and uh, more optimal. Oh, that's cool. So if if you're interested in
0: improving your uh, ability to deal with stress, so it's basically you either become stronger by stress or you become weaker. It's, it's up to you. Now, I wouldn't say you should be afraid of the of the virus and the pandemic, definitely take your measures. But the first measures you should definitely take are related to supporting your general immune system, Uh, you know, sauna sessions, ice baths, all kinds of things that are kind of uh, not killing you, but making you stronger. Uh, eating healthy diet, maybe sometimes not eating might be a good idea, like short, short periods of fasting, uh, going for nature walks, like exposing yourself to environmental aspects and bacteria and fungus and all kinds of things in a, in a natural environment. Um, yeah, uh, spending some time with good friends definitely also supports your immune system function. Um, humor, good jokes instead of fear and loathing on, on, on social media and on news sites. That's what you should go for, for sure, um, to build resilience in these times of uncertainty. Some people think that uncertainty is, is kind of stressful. To me, uncertainty and uncertain environment might actually be a very comfortable place to be in. It all depends on how you, you kind of take that situation, how you react to it. Uh, I, I'm just excited when things kind of shake up a little bit and seem to, you know the future seems a little bit unknown. It's all about attitude. We are kind of grown up with the idea that, yeah, when I turn this, then I'm gonna go to school. When I turn this, then I'm gonna graduate. Then I, then I'm gonna go to this job. Then I'm gonna, you know, marry this woman or man, and then I'm gonna spend this, you know, th- you know, rest of my life, and then I'm gonna retire. None of that is certain. Um, I mean, what is certain is change, uh, constant change, and your ability to deal with change is where you know proper stress. Management comes from, and it's a learnable skill. Uh, thank you very much, Seem. Uh, yeah. Where where can people learn more? Uh, obviously, like um, share your, you know, yeah. info. Where to get the book? Where's your website? What's going on? Social yeah.
1: media. My website is seamland.com, and um, seamland on all the platforms. And the book is stronger by stress on uh, Amazon.
0: All right. Thank you. Thanks for everyone online. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, we're going to have on a weekly basis, uh, probably a couple of these per week up until Barker summit, we're going to be talking to some of the speakers coming up. We're going to be announcing, uh, the first line of speakers, uh, on Monday. Um, but there's another interview coming out that I did with Yara Willard. Um, uh, the Herbal Jedi, uh, Molly Malouf is a doctor, um, Check her out also on social media. Um, she she is uh, on our list of speakers, and there's also some of the s- superstars from the Nordics uh, biking scene and and Europe. Um, you're most welcome. Uh, and remember that Finland is a distant country. There is a lot of social distancing naturally going on. We have the lowest occurrence per capita in terms of uh, the 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 coronavirus. We handled it very well, very little restrictions, uh, but at the same time, very conscious people like how to deal with these kind of things. And we definitely put our effort in the Biker Summit um, of of working with these kind of uh, potential uh, uh, fragile things uh, that in the end building anti-fragility. So thank you very much, Seem. Let's get stronger by stress and over and out. Thank you very much. Absolutely.